hello, this is Bob Ray, and welcome to another episode of Love Like a River, where we examine the statements and expressions of the God of the Old and New Testaments with the goal of discovering the practical applications of those words for our lives today. Our topic for this podcast is a continuation of our series on prayer. Last time we looked at the first component of prayer, uh, which was focus on the Our Father. And again, this is a 10-part series from this point uh, where we are taking the words that Jesus gave us when asked by his disciples about prayer. He said, pray then in this way. We're taking that structure that he gave us and breaking it down into components. And the first one that we looked at last time was the beginning of the prayer where he says, our father, uh, the fact that we address God as father, that he is the object of our prayer, the person to whom we make our requests. Now, in this episode, we're going to look at the second component of prayer, the direction of prayer. So we looked at the person, the object of prayer, but now the direction of prayer, because Jesus said to pray our father in heaven. So there's a, a specific direction there. He didn't say our father in Santa Fe or our father in New York or our father in Hawaii. He said our father in heaven. So how does one do that? How do we reach heaven? This lesson involves the direction and the destination of our prayers. So it begs the question, where is heaven? Is heaven a place we can fix our attention on? Do we need to face towards the east, as some of the largest religions instruct us, the Jews with facing Jerusalem, the Muslims with facing Mecca? Is heaven east of us? Well, the biblical answer is that heaven is up. I'm going to give you two examples. Heaven is up. So our first major point here, let's look at Elijah and then Jesus to see that point number one, heaven is up. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, you'll find the story of Elijah when he is taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. Now, I know you critics out there, oh, that's such a story. See, if God is a supernatural God, which he is, he can do supernatural things, and a fiery chariot is definitely within his domain, and we're going from earth, translating a person from earth to heaven. So, you know, you can put your little spectator glasses on, your critic's uh, uh, notebook out with all your notes, but the Bible says that Elijah was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot, and verse 11 says, when they, this is Elijah and Elisha, these two prophets, they were walking along together. Suddenly a chariot of fire with horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. Great visual here. We can see the storm cloud, dust, cyclone, whirlwind, and Elijah on this chariot of fire riding it up into heaven. I believe that actually happened. The God who made the universe and everything in it can make a chariot of fire, and he can send it for one of his servants, and he can translate Elijah to heaven, just like he took Enoch straight to heaven in the early, early 
period um, of human history. God takes his people up to heaven. That was Elijah in 2 Kings. Now, I mentioned another example, and this one comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, and it's the story, the true story of when Jesus ascended. This is after his death on the cross, after his resurrection, after spending 40 days with human men with, with eyes and ears and hands. They saw him. They felt him. They ate meals with him. They listened to his words for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, Jesus was taken up into heaven. You'll find it in the book of Acts, the first chapter. And the story goes that Jesus is there with his disciples. They're having a discussion. They're talking. He's giving them final instructions, what they're to do going forth into the world, the nations with the gospel. And it says in verse nine, after he had said this, after he had said these things, they watched as he, Jesus, was taken up and a cloud hid him from their sight. Where are clouds? Clouds are in the sky. He went up. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going. Another great visual. Jesus was on earth. His feet were on the ground. And at some point, he is lifted up. No fiery chariot here, just Jesus himself being lifted up, going up 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet. Now it says, He's going into the sky, and then they can't see him because of a cloud. Well, clouds are pretty high. Clouds aren't at the 100-foot level, the 200. Fog is, but they said clouds. And then you can see these disciples standing there looking into the heavens, and it says, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now, we know those are angels, God's angels on assignment, his servants. And they say this, men of Galilee. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Again, the consistent story here is that Jesus went up, his disciples are looking up, and now the angels ask the disciples, hey, why are you looking up here? You got work to do on earth. <laughs> That's what's implied. You got stuff to do. Jesus gave you instructions. Why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So there, twice you have the reference, he went into heaven. So where is heaven? Heaven is above. Elijah went up into the sky. Jesus went up into the sky. And for you smart Alex would say, hey, up is different depending on where you're at on the earth. Up is a plane above us, okay? So the physical universe is one level. It's like a, the apartment has two stories. And above the physical universe, there is a spiritual universe of God, the heaven of heavens, the holy place. And Jesus went there. Elijah went there. And yes, heaven is up. Now, point number two, heaven is a realm that the human eye cannot normally see. Just for a moment, think about the physical universe. There's a lot of beautiful sights, amazing displays of God's glory, the galaxies, the universe. But do you know that uh, modern science says that the human eye can only see about 5% of what's really there? 
that in our universe, which has so much to see, there's the vast majority of it is not available for us to see. Now, we may learn how to see it all, but at this moment, we see a sliver of what is out there. And beyond that, heaven, the spiritual realm of God, is not a place that the human eye can normally see. If you were to look at the light spectrum and the, and the, the, the different levels of that, the human eye can only perceive certain bands within the radio and and all the different levels of data that's out there same thing with heaven the human eye cannot normally see what is in the spiritual realm but on occasion the scriptures do something very interesting on occasion the scriptures have individuals that can actually see into heaven i'm going to give you a few examples the first one is a guy named Stephen, and in the book of Acts, chapter 7, you'll find, actually read the whole speech that Stephen gives when he's talking to the Jewish leaders. It's fantastic. If you want to know a history of the Jewish people, Stephen nails it in a very compact dissertation. But at the end of that, he talks to them in a very rough way. Verse 53 says, you guys killed the Lord of life these Jewish leaders who were in charge of plotting against Jesus and working with the Romans, um, he called them out on it and said, you were the ones responsible for his death. And at verse 54, chapter seven, verse 54, picking it up right there, it says, on hearing this, what did they hear? They heard the accusation, Stephen telling them that they murdered Jesus. On hearing this, the members of the Sanhedrin were enraged, and they gnashed their teeth at him. You can see them all bent faces and twisted and angry. Verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he said, look, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Now, some of you might say, oh, he was hallucinating. Nope, he wasn't hallucinating. It's something he saw. It's what he said. He told the people he was perceiving something that's not normal. It's not normal to see the glory of God. It's not normal to see Jesus standing in heaven. And I don't have um, the verse right in front of me, but just after this, the leadership reacts by taking Stephen out and stoning him to death. That's what they think of visions of God and servants of God. The people who killed the prophets and killed our Savior also killed Stephen, but not before Stephen was given a vision, a true image of heaven. So Stephen saw heaven as he was dying. You'll find that in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 56. Now, there's another very interesting story. This is kind of one of my favorites. Uh, Elisha. Now, remember, Elijah was taken up into heaven on the fiery chariot, but he had a, a servant a mentee, someone he was working with, a protege. And as he left, Elisha, this is with a S-H-A, Elisha, he took over. He was the main prophet on earth at that time. 
And there comes a point in the book of Second Kings when the place where Elijah is, he's with his servant, and the place where they are is surrounded by the armies of the enemy. And the servant, listen to this in verse 15, 2 Kings chapter 6, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So he asked Elisha, oh, master, what are we to do? What are we going to do? We're surrounded. Look at verse 16. Do not be afraid, Elisha answered. Don't be afraid. Listen to what he says. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Hey, uh, servant. Um, got to inform you of something. There's more with us than there are with them. And he's looking out there thinking that Elisha has lost his mind because he's going, I can't even count these people. There's like hundreds. There's like thousands. There's a whole army out there, Elisha. So look at verse 17. It says, then Elisha prayed. He had to pray and ask for something because it's not normal to see what this servant is going to see. So Elisha prays and says, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw that the hills, the hills surrounding them, the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So remember we talked about one chariot of fire? Well, guess what? Heaven has an army with different tools than you've ever seen. And in this instance, Elisha can see it, but the servant could not. And when he was afraid, Elisha comforted him by asking the father to open his eyes. And when his eyes were opened and he could see in the spiritual realm, he saw the armies of heaven. And they outnumbered the armies of man. God is in control. God is great. The God of heaven is who we need to put our focus on. So when Jesus says, our father who art in heaven, he's directing us to this place of massive resources, massive support. We need to pay attention to his words. One more reference for you. We talked about people seeing into heaven, and it's not normal. The human eye normally doesn't see it, but the scriptures in the book of Revelation chapter 19 says there will come a day when all the world will see heaven opened and Jesus coming to rule over mankind. Let me say that again. All the world will see heaven opened and Jesus coming to rule over mankind. You'll find that in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. And let me read those. Verse 11, and then I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. And for those of you who want the crib notes on that, they're describing Jesus. Jesus is on a white horse. And it says, with righteousness, he judges and wages war. All you people who think that Jesus is just this lamb and passive, uh, you got something to learn about the real Jesus. 
He's going to return and judge and wage war. He has eyes like blazing fire and many royal crowns on his head. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He has a name written on him that only he himself knows. Verse 13, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. Whose blood? His own blood. He had sacrificed his life for us, and he has the right to rule and the right to return to this earth. So, verse 14 says, the armies of heaven dressed in fine linen, white and pure, follow him on white horses, and from his mouth proceeds a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule and he, with an iron scepter, he will rule the nations. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, as I'm reading those verses, I'm just thinking, man, our modern perception of who Jesus is really needs to get, get uh, focused on the scriptures. Because I hear so much about who Jesus is. And people do not understand, they don't really understand who he is. They, they want to say that he's this marshmallow God in the sky, and he loves everybody, forgives everybody, everybody's going into the kingdom. It's not what the Bible says. If you read the Bible and let the Bible speak, you'll find out who Jesus really is, and you'll find out what heaven really is. Heaven is a place you cannot naturally see with your eye, but in these instances, he opened Stephen's eyes, he opened Elijah's servant's eyes, and he will one day open all of our eyes. That's why it's important for us to get our eyes open now, to, to cry out to God and say, God, open my eyes now. I want to see heaven. I want to pray to the Father in heaven. I want to know the God who is in heaven. It's important. It's critical. Because my third point, heaven is as real as you are. Heaven is as real as you are. As I thought about this point, uh, a picture came to me from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 41 through 43. The picture that came to me was of Jesus on the cross, and there was next to him a thief. There were two thieves. One thief was uh, just a bad dude. And he's throwing her insults and hurling insults at Jesus. But the other thief, the other thief says some things that you got to hear. Because when he says those things and when he talks to Jesus, Jesus gives him real comfort. And let's look at what he comforts him with. So we pick this up in verse 41. The thief is speaking. The thief on the cross says, we are punished justly. He's talking to the other thief. We are punished justly, for we are receiving what our actions deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you today. you will be with me in paradise. Now, we know that Jesus never told a lie. We know 
even the people out there that say, oh, Jesus was just a good teacher. Well, would a good teacher, as one of his last words on the cross, lie to someone? No. He's more than just a teacher. He is the son of God. He is God incarnate, God with us. And this God man hanging on the cross answers this question with the authority of who he really is. And he says, truly, it's the truth. I tell you today, this very day, you're going to be with me in paradise. That's real comfort. Those are real words. The thief received Jesus's best. And what Jesus offered him was presence in paradise, presence in the spiritual realm, presence in heaven. He comforted him with the truth that heaven is real. The kingdom of God is real. You have spoken the truth. You, you have spoken the truth to this other prisoner here. And I will answer your question. You acknowledged my kingdom. You acknowledged me as a king. You've asked me to remember you. In fact, you know what I'm going to do this very day? You're going to be with me in that place. Could you imagine if that was all a lie? Then who is this Jesus who lies? He's not a liar. He tells the truth. And part of the truth here is heaven is real. Another example in the book of Revelation, chapter four, John says this in verse one. After these things I looked, and this was after he saw a vision of Jesus, after he received the letters that were to be sent to the various churches, chapter four starts a new direction. And it says, after these things, seeing Jesus, re receiving the letters, after those things, behold, a door standing open in Cuba. No, a door standing open in Canada. No, a door standing open in heaven. And the voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said this, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. So again, we have the reinforcement that heaven is above. Again, we have a door or if the door is shut, you can't see in, but the door is open and John is being invited into heaven, confirms the fact that normally we don't see heaven, but when heaven opens to us and invites us, then we, it's available to us. I think of um, back in the Old Testament, Jacob, when he had his dream of the staircase that reached to heaven, the angels were coming down and going up. Heaven is a distinct place. It's a different place. It's where the angels come from and go back to. This door standing in heaven is a biblical reality, but it's more than just a biblical reality. We have to think of it as a physical reality because the word of God is true and it's telling us that there is a heaven above us. In a crude example, it's like a two-story apartment building. We live in the lower floor, but God is telling us, hey, there's a real place above you that if you would pay attention there's all kinds of life and resources and treasure in God and in his son. I want to challenge you to read the book of Revelation to learn about the realities of heaven. I know there's a lot in there that you don't understand, imagery and this and that, but there's so much that will just bless you and enlighten you. So read the book of Revelation. Um, and don't read it like with a thousand reference books. Just read it. Read through it. Then you can go back and study. But uh, to my next point, number four, heaven 
is the realm of God. And what I want to point out here is when you look to the book of Revelation, go to chapter 21, go to chapter 21, and you're going to find these words, and I'll come back and make some points on this. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are faithful and true. And he told me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. The one who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, my child, my daughter. All right. We're seeing an image here of a new heaven and a new earth. Old things passed away. In this new heaven, in this new earth, God is doing something new. The very throne of heaven is sending down a new Jerusalem to the earth, to the earth. And it says God is going to dwell with man. So the point here from Revelation 21, heaven is the realm of God. But think about this. What the Bible reveals is that we, you and I, will dwell in heaven, will dwell in it, will dwell in heaven as a real physical reality, not some fluffy cloud somewhere in the universe. We're going to dwell in heaven, in it, in heaven, with him. And if you read Revelation 21 carefully and the book of Zechariah and many other places throughout the scriptures, that kingdom is going to be here on earth. Nothing ethereal, nothing floating out in space somewhere. A lot of people criticize the, the message of the scriptures thinking, I don't want to live on some floaty cloud somewhere. That is not what the Bible talks about. We're not living on some floaty cloud. We're here on earth and God is with us. Heaven is the realm of God. And if you read Revelation 21, you'll see that God's realm and man's realm come together and we dwell with him in heaven here on earth. That's why you need to focus on heaven. It will be your home. It is your home. If you read the book of Ephesians chapter one and two, there's so much it's already yours in the spiritual realm, riches and inheritance that we only have a little portion, a down payment of it now, but we're going to have the fullness of it soon. But you got to start shifting your mind to heaven. You got to start thinking about heaven. 
our father who art in heaven. That's where the real meaty stuff is. That's where the juice of life is. When Jesus talked to the people about all their worries and concerns, he said, seek first the kingdom, lift your eyes up, go there first. That's the place where you need to live and dwell and think. And from there, you'll get the resources and all the things you need for life here on earth. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about that problem. Take it to God in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, you'll find your greatest ally in heaven. You'll find your king, the one who will defend you, your greatest resource in heaven. But you got to focus there because there's a Father who wants to care for you there. Our Father who art in heaven. As I said, I challenge you to read the book of Revelation. You got to start reading the Bible more. You got to read the book of Revelation. You got to read the Bible. You have a father in heaven and he has sent his word. And in the book of Hebrews chapter one, verse one, it says that God has spoken in many ways, in various times, in many ways, God has spoken to us. And in these days, he has sent his son. Jesus said that when you see him, you see the father. There's no mystery. Just open the book. Open the books. Don't read one little snippet and get satisfied. Man, if there was a feast, a banquet of food in front of you and you were famished, how much would you eat? Would you just eat like one spoonful of the macaroni salad or the potato salad? Or would you just, there's a whole whole thing of, of ribs for you meat eaters. I'm a meat eater. I love ribs. Would, would you just dive in there and grab the big bone meat? and just devour it or for you vegetarians if you saw the most perfect vegetarian salad you know would you just take one little piece of it would you take one mouthful or would you dig in and have a hearty meal i i don't know what camp you're in but i'm in the camp i want to feast i want to eat and it's isn't it interesting that we're going to the wedding feast jesus has invited us to the the marriage feast of the lamb his first miracle was at a, a a wedding feast is there something there god wants to marry his people god wants to marry you male or female doesn't matter it might sound weird to some guys but god wants to marry you as a spiritual being as a personal entity a living soul god wants us as his own and it is critical that we begin to shift our mindset and focus on heaven as critical as of critical importance for our future you and i in this moment need to understand and press into the reality that our father is in heaven Remember, again, when his disciples asked him how to pray, Jesus was not giving them some rote prayer. He wasn't giving them something he had just thought of. He wasn't giving them some weak prescription. He was giving them life. Remember what they, the people around him said? How about those soldiers that the Sanhedrin, Jesus's enemies, sent to trap Jesus? And when they came back, the Sanhedrin was like, what are you doing here? Why didn't you bring him? What, what's going on? And they said, no man's ever spoken like this. This, this dude's different. The, the, no, no one has spoken like this person. And when Jesus spoke, 
people's lives were changed. Their, their lives were, were transformed. And if we want our lives to be transformed, we want our prayer lives to be transformed. We need to do what Jesus said. He said, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven. That's the reality. That's the truth of this second component that you and I need to focus on the reality of our God, our father who is in heaven and we need to begin to press into understanding that everything we need is in him, in heaven, and it is coming. The kingdom is racing towards us in these latter days. Yes, we're in the days of the toes, the 10 toes. Read Daniel 2. You look at the statue. The Babylonian empire is gone. The Medes and the Persians are gone. The Greeks are gone. The Romans are gone. And the reconstituted Roman empire of the modern world is on its last legs. In fact, it says those 10 toes, they don't like each other. The metal and the clay, I believe that's government and humans, you know, they don't mesh really well. You look around the world, it's turmoil. We're in the days of the toes. We need to look to heaven because guess what? You know what destroys all those, that statue and all those kingdoms? It says a stone cut without human hands comes and crushes those kingdoms. And then it itself becomes a stone that fills the whole earth. And they're talking about the kingdom of God. Why do you need to focus on heaven? Because heaven's coming to earth. And for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, that will be a beautiful, awesome sight. But as you read in the book of Revelation, look at the reaction of those who do not follow Jesus Christ. That is a terror, a terrible sight. It says that they cry out that the, the, the mountains would fall on them. They cry out that the rocks would crush them because they, they don't want to face the presence of the God of heaven. It's right there. Just read it. It's in the book of Revelation. The scriptures are clear. You just need to read them. Read the scriptures and let the words speak for themselves. And when there are areas that you don't understand, pray to your father in heaven and ask for understanding. And he will bring you teachers. He will bring you study helps. He will bring you resources to understand but when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father except through me, that's not real hard to understand. He's saying, I'm it. I'm the door. I'm the bread of life. What's difficult to understand about that? It's man's rebellious heart that doesn't want to understand that. It's man's rebellious mind that says, no, I want to be like my ancestors, Adam and Eve, who chose their own way versus having everything. They had everything. They had abundance. There were, there were probably at least a thousand, maybe 2000 fruit trees in that garden. And there was only one tree off limit. So they left abundance to go after one. But you know, the one thing they went after was selfishness because God had given them everything. And all he asked for them in return was for them to thank him with their obedience. Don't do this one. The opposite side of that is do this thing and everything's good. You ever think about that? When he said, don't eat from that tree, he's also saying, if you do this thing, 
all the goodness that you're experiencing remains. If you violate that principle, then it reverses. You'll die and everything around you will die. And it's interesting that I believe it's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything in the universe is decaying. Why is the universe decaying? Why is everything running down? Well, it has to do with Adam and Eve rebelling. And if someone's out there who you're just rebellious towards God, you really need to check yourself because there's a stone coming towards earth. Read the book of Daniel, read chapter two. The kingdom of God is coming to this earth, this kingdom of heaven that we're talking about, coming to earth. And you can either smile at that event because you know the one who's coming or you will be in fear. It's just one or the other, not my words. Read them for yourselves. Read them for yourselves. You know, all we're in this modern age of, oh, don't say things that hurt my feelings. Well, you know, you guys would have canceled God a long time ago because he says a lot of things that hurt your feelings. The God who is in heaven is the one that Jesus said we need to pray to. Our Father who art in heaven. Indeed. Indeed. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you for spending time with us. Join us next time when we'll be discussing component number three of prayer, hallowed be thy name. And again, we said that we're going to go through all 10 components. We've covered the first two. Next time, hallowed be thy name. Stay with us. We uh, love having this time together. This is your host, Bob Ray, wishing you the best of God's wisdom and a deeper discovery of his great love for you.